two questions to start us off this morning. The first one is, what is God doing? What is God doing? You ever ask that question? Like, what's God up to? Right? What is God spending His time, energy, and efforts to accomplish? What is the point of everything that He has done up until this point? What is God doing? The second question is, what are you supposed to be doing? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe you've worded it like this, what's God's will for my life? What am I supposed to be doing? Sometimes we get more specific. Where am I supposed to go to school? Where am I supposed to, uh, who am I supposed to marry? What vocation should I have? Should I stay in the military or get out of the military? Should I stay in this difficult marriage or get out of it? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? My goal this morning is to take these questions that in your mind might be a little distinct from each other. What is God doing and what should you be doing? And I want to take those questions, I want to put them together, right? I want you in your mind to put those two questions together in a way that is actually inseparable. That as you ask the question, what is God doing? You would also ask the question of what should you be doing in light of those realities, you see, so too often, far too often, we flip these questions around, right? Ask the question, what am I supposed to be doing? And then we start doing that based on whatever comes into our mind or whatever ideas we get from other places. And so we start moving in the things we're supposed to be doing. And then we ask God to like co-opt that, right? We ask God, God, would you bless this thing that I'm doing? See how we get the questions backwards, we ask what we're supposed to be doing and then just ask God to join us in that work. Let's not do that. Ask these two questions in the right order. What is God doing? And then what am I supposed to be doing? One of the most popular uh, small group book studies that was done in the 1990s was a book by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. The subtitle for that study is called, Is Knowing and Doing the Will of God. Anybody do that study? Anybody? Man, I figured there'd be several. It's still done to this day. Uh, You don't have to have been alive in the 90s or like of consciousness and doing small groups in the 90s. That's okay. I understand many of you were not. Um, But I actually went through this. I think I was in high school uh, and our church did Experiencing God. The adults were doing it, and the youth were doing it. We're doing experiencing God. Well, the, to summarize uh, that study, Blackaby had a very simple and yet profound idea, and it was this. Find out where God is at work and join Him there. What a just powerful, simple thought. Find out, look around, observe where God is at work And then just join him in that work. It's a powerful idea. So this morning, my goal is to show you where God is at work and invite you to join him in his work. So I want to show you where God's at work, one of the big things that God is doing, and invite you to join him in it. So my big proposition for you this morning I would contend it is the big proposition for the rest of your life is this. God is making his name known among the nations. Him in it. God is making his name known among the nations. Join him in it. This morning we have a topical sermon. Uh, It's different from the vast majority of our sermons. Typically, we take one text of Scripture and we get the main point of that text, uh, the main point of the sermon from that text. We even get the structure for the sermon from the text. Uh, And so this is a topical sermon. So I'm going to try to show you some things that are happening throughout Scripture. And I actually have to provide the structure for us to do that. So the structure that I'm providing, where we're going this morning, Really, three stops and a conclusion. 
Uh, I'll say these a few times so you don't need to write them down verbatim now if you're taking notes. But number one is that God is making His name known among the nations. Second stop is that God invites us to join Him in His work. The third stop is that God's will will be accomplished. And we will conclude with some practical considerations for each one of us. So the first stop this morning is that God is making His name known among the nations. That is what God is doing. It's what He's up to, is making His name known among the nations. I would love to spend the next three to four hours showing you 10 to 100 places, probably closer to 100 places, where I have noticed this in just the past few years, all throughout the Scripture. That what God is in the midst of doing is making His name known among the nations. However, I've taken into account your, uh, your attention span. I've also taken into account my energy level to stand up here and yell and scream and talk. And so we're gonna, I'm going to limit this point to just seeing a few places in the book of Genesis and the book of Psalms. The book of Genesis and the book of Psalms. So if you have your Bibles, join me in the book of Genesis. If you don't have a Bible, or if you're not used to navigating your way through the Bible, I would encourage you to grab one of those provided Bibles that's under a chair somewhere nearby. It's a hardcover black uh, book, says Holy Bible on the front of it. Grab that one. Once we start going from place to place, I'll actually give you the page numbers in that Bible. Uh, those page numbers are meaningless if you brought your own Bible, just so you know, unless you brought like the same exact one. Uh, so ignore the page numbers if you're following along, along in your own Bible. But Genesis chapter 1 is uh, the beginning, once you get past the preface and the table of contents and everything else, uh, Genesis chapter 1, notice with me verse 26. This is God has just created the heavens and the earth. He's created the sun and the moon and the stars. He's created plants. He's created everything. And He is about to uh, create mankind. Genesis 1 verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and do what? Fill the earth. And subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What did God want mankind to do when He created them? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with image bearers of God. That's what His goal was at the very beginning. That's what He was doing. Go, He's created mankind, go and fill the earth with image bearers of me. Turn over with me, and honestly, as we're turning over, Genesis chapter 3, everything goes horrifically wrong, right? We just, mankind rejects God's rule and reign in their life and rejects God's mandate for them, and God is still continuing to work through His people. Uh, we get many generations happen in Genesis chapter 5, so it's not like a week goes by before the next passage I'm going to read. Uh, in Genesis chapter 6, things are going horrifically wrong on a worldwide scale. They are increasing earth, uh, our people, uh, and yet corruption is also increasing. And so the Lord God sends a worldwide cataclysmic flood on the earth, and yet He saves one family, Noah and his family. And notice what God says to Noah after the flood. So the Lord has destroyed uh, all of mankind except for Noah and his family. And the Lord God in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1. Genesis 9 and verse 1. 
God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Have you noticed God hasn't changed? A lot's happened. If you haven't read that recently, go read the beginning of Genesis. Right? A lot of things have happened and mankind has continued to rebel against God. But God's still saying the same thing. Fill the earth with image bearers of me. Again, the story progresses, the story continues, and we have many generations in Genesis chapter 10, so the earth is starting to be filled, and in Genesis chapter 12, God is going to call a people to Himself. God is going to call a people to Himself, Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's calling a people to himself through this guy Abram, who later God renames to Abraham, and says you're going to father a nation, but through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Hopefully you're seeing a trend and a pattern. Turn with me to Psalm, the second Psalm, Psalm 2. If you're in one of those provided Bibles, Page 418, Psalm 2, in a provided Bible, page 418. I'm just going to read a couple of Psalms. This idea is all throughout the Psalms. Psalm chapter 2, or the second Psalm. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let's burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise Be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So you see there in verse 8 that the nations are going to be the heritage of the son of God. The ends of the earth will be his possession. Turn with me to the next psalm, Psalm 46. Psalm 46 and verse 10. We're not going to read all of Psalm 46, but I thought this was a very familiar passage. Psalm 46. I'm still in Psalm, so if you're on the provided Bible, just follow the big numbers till you get to number 46. And then the little numbers, verse 10. And well-known passage, be still and know that I am God. I knew that that was a familiar passage. I was like, I feel like I've seen that somewhere. And where I was sitting in the house, I looked up and there was a little placard in our house with nice, you know, fancy writing on it. And it said, be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46, 10. So perhaps you have that somewhere in your house or a nice coffee mug or a t-shirt or something that says, be still and know that I am God. It's a powerful statement, but do you know the rest of that verse? Notice what it says. 
God says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. What's God doing? He's making His name known among the nations. Look at Psalm 47. Right below. Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. A great King, where? Over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with a sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. God's heart is for the nations. God's heart is that His name would be made known to the ends of the earth. This has been God's plan from the beginning. When He first created the heavens and the earth, when He first created mankind, His goal, His aim, was that all the earth, all the nations of the earth, would worship Him as the one true God. God's heart is for the nations, the entire earth. It's not just for you, it's not just for me, it's not just for Jacksonville, it's not just for the U.S., it's not just for our little pockets, it is for the nations to gather around and to worship Him as the one true God. Now before we move on, I think it's appropriate that we pause for a moment and address a very real question that many of you likely have. Maybe you've had it in the past. Maybe you started to have it. You walked forward and then somebody has asked you this question recently. Or maybe you still have it today. And the question goes something like this. Doesn't this God wanting to make His name known and to be worshipped among all the nations, doesn't, make, doesn't this make God some sort of egotistical, like self-centered like, isn't that not good? Like, God's just this egomaniac, like, wanting everyone to worship Him? Like, really? He's working to have all of the nations worship Him and adore Him? Isn't that a bit self-centered? And doesn't that, like, isn't that not a good thing? Like, I don't like when other people are self-centered. I don't like it when other people are egomaniacs and ego-driven. Like, I don't like that. Why should I like that about God? It's a very real question. If you're here and you have that question, you've been wrestling through that like, wait, what, what's going on here? I'm glad you're here. I, I, I hope you continue to ask good questions like that. First of all, I want to affirm that, yes, if I or if you had that aim, had that as the goal of your life, that everyone on the planet would worship you and center their lives around you, or if I had that goal, if, if we have that goal, then we are very much wrong, right? And we would be right for people to confront us and say, hey man, the world doesn't revolve around you. Right? The world is not, does not exist to worship you. And so if I were to go around requiring everyone else to worship me, then I would be self-centered, I would be an egomaniac, and I would very much be wrong. But the question we must ask is, why would I be wrong? Well, the reason I would be wrong is because I'm nothing. I'm not worthy of worldwide worship. I'm not even worthy of the worship of the people in my own house. Okay? If God does anything through me, praise God. Right? If there's anything good, praise God that He can take a wretch like me and do something worthwhile. You see, it would be self-centered and egotistical of me 
to desire the worldwide worship of myself because I'm not worth the praise and worship and adoration of the nations and neither are you. But you see, that's not the case with God. You see, God is awesome. I know we overuse that word, but God is awesome. He is worthy of all awe. God is majestic. God is worthy of all praise and all adoration of every human being that ever has existed and ever will exist. At one point, Jesus himself, when people were praising him as the king, praising him as God, people said, why are you allowing this to happen? He said, well, even if they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out and praise me. So not only will all of humanity praise the Lord and should praise the Lord, but even creation cries out and praises the Lord and should do so. God is worthy of all praise and worship. And here's the thing, the very best life that I can live is a life where I center my life around worshiping God, a life where I stop centering on me and trying to get other people to worship me, a life where I actually turn and worship the Lord. And the same thing is true for you. If you are not yet a worshiper of God, you are a worshiper of yourself. And you're trying to get other people to join you in that. And it's a miserable life. Sure, there may be some temporary happiness from time to time, some very short-lived happiness from time to time, but you do not have the deep-seated joy that God desires for your life. That can only be found by centering your life on worshiping God. To find true and lasting eternal joy, you need to stop worshiping yourself and encouraging others to do so. And you need to turn from that and worship God. The word the Bible uses for this turning is repentance. Stop worshiping yourself. Stop encouraging other people to worship yourself. Turn from that and begin worshiping the one true God. God pleads with you throughout the Bible that you would do that today. That you would not delay, that you would not put that off till next week or next year or when you get your life figured out and when you get your life put together. No, 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 that you would repent of worshiping yourself and you would begin today to worship God. You can do that today right where you sit. You can pray, pray out to God, call out to God. Say, Lord, I've been living life for myself. Forgive me and show me how to walk in a life that is worshiping you. If that's happening in your life right now, I would encourage you to come talk to myself or somebody else after the service. We'd love to continue to help you walk through that. But do so today. Let today be the day of salvation for you. God is making his name known among the nations, and we are to worship him. Second big stop for us this morning is that God invites us into His work. God invites us into His work. Did you hear the psalmists? Right? Not only were they telling us that God is going to make His name known among the nations, but they were also praising God and inviting others to praise God with them. I think Psalm 47 was probably the most notable of that. Talking about singing praises, sing praises to God, sing praises to our King. We actually do this in many of the songs that we sing on Sunday morning. Probably the one that we've sung thus far uh, that was most doing what I'm talking about here is Come Ye Sinners. Listen to some of the words. Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Jesus is ready. He stands to save you. And then it, the chorus said, I will arise and go to Jesus. And the implication is, would you come with me? Right? So we're singing to one another, come sinners, 
Worship Jesus. I'm going to worship Jesus. Would you join me? All right. Another one, probably one of the most popular uh, praise and worship songs of the past 20 years is How Great Is Our God? What are the words of the chorus? How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. Then all will see how great is our God. Right? We do this. We, we echo the psalmist in our songs today. We are to worship God and we are to invite other people from all nations to worship God with us. But perhaps even that is a little vague as I just look at the Psalms together. But turn with me. The Lord Jesus makes it very much not vague for us. He makes it very precise. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. If you're in a provided Bible, page 784. Yes, we have skipped over a lot of the Bible. That's okay. You can catch up on your own time. Read it. It's an amazing, the most amazing book ever written. Matthew chapter 28, page 784. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus, the Son of God, has come to dwell among us. He has lived the perfect life by the time we get to Matthew chapter 28. Let me say that again. He has lived the perfect life. None of us in here have done that. He lived the perfect life. He has died a substitutionary, sacrificial death on behalf of everyone who would put their faith and their trust in Him. He was in the grave, in the tomb, dead. And on the third day, He rose again to seal the victory. And the resurrected Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 gathers 11 of His disciples to speak to them before He ascends to the right hand of God the Father. Listen to what happens. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came, the resurrected Jesus, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What does Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, command His disciples to do? These eleven men, He tells them what they are to be doing. They are to be making disciples of all nations. That should not come as a surprise to the disciples. That should not come as a, as a surprise to us based on what we read in Genesis and Psalms and what we could read elsewhere in the Old Testament. His instruction is to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, when we hear that, I think sometimes we don't quite hear it right. We hear disciples of all nations and I think sometimes we hear, go make a lot of disciples, right? You ever hear that? Go make a lot of disciples. Or you might hear, go make as many disciples as you possibly can. It's not exactly what Jesus says. It says, make disciples of all nations. I love how one pastor worded this problem. He says, the Great Commission is not a general call for us to make a lot of disciples. Instead, it is a specific call to make disciples from every nation. This making disciples of all nations is the work that God invites us into. It is the work that Jesus commissions us for that we would make disciples of all nations. We can't forget that. 
There's a reason we have a sermon titled Heart for the Nations every year. We've been doing it for like three years now, okay? Because we're prone to forget this, right? That this is what we're supposed to be doing, make disciples of all nations. I understand like three of you picked up on that, like, wait, we've had a sermon titled this before. I think it was about this time last year. We're prone to forget this. We are called to make disciples of all nations. I want you to notice there's another rendering of this great commission of Acts. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, if you're in one of those provided Bibles, page 855. 855, Acts chapter 1. taking me a second to get there. Acts chapter 1. Similar scene, maybe the same scene being recorded by a different writer, Luke. Maybe a slightly different scene of the Lord saying similar things to His disciples right before His ascension. Acts chapter 1, pick it up with me in verse 6. Jesus and his disciples had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you, disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You see the similarity? Where are they going to be Jesus' witnesses? To the end of the earth. But I want you to notice how this one's worded. It's the same idea, it's different words. It talks about disciples being made to the end of the earth. All nations, end of the earth, same idea. But notice how it's worded. He says, you will be my witnesses. Jesus is not saying, hey guys, you know, it would be really great if we took this thing worldwide, right? So why don't you try? I'm going to go to the Father right now. So why don't you guys try to get this thing worldwide? That'd be really cool. Like, that'd be great if that would happen. You know, either way, it's cool with me, but it, it'd just be great. Like, like Jesus is some young rock star that wants to be an international phenomenon. Like, that is not what's happening here at all. Jesus is declaring, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's his call. This leads us to point three. Right? It's not just... Uh, It's not just this hope for the Lord, but number three, uh, the third big stop for us this morning is that God's will will be done. God's will will be done. Turn with me to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is God showing one of his apostles, the apostle John, what is going to happen at the end. I understand it can be a bit of a tricky book, especially in the middle of the book. I think the beginning of the book is actually relatively clear. I think the end of the book is relatively clear. It gets a little less clear in the middle, but that's okay. Revelation chapter 5, if you're in one of those provided Bibles, it's the last book of the Bible, page 967, page 967, Revelation chapter 5. Look at this vision that John gets. Pick it up with me in verse 9. And they sing a new song, saying, Worthy are you, they're praying to Jesus, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you, Jesus, were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people For God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest. And they shall reign on the earth. 
Why are they praising Jesus? What are they praising Jesus for? Because He, by His own blood, has ransomed people, not just a lot of people, not just uh, as many people as we would like, but people from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. That's why they're praising Jesus. Turn over to Revelation 7. Revelation 7. Pick it up with me again in verse 9. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's what's going to happen at the end. People from all languages, all peoples, all tongues, worshiping God for what He has done to bring about their salvation. That's what God's doing. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen. God's will will be done. If you want to guarantee yourself success in this life, hopefully I perked your ears, if you want to guarantee yourself a successful life, Join God by making disciples of the nations. Join God in making God worshipers of all nations. If you spend your life in that, you will guarantee yourself success. You will succeed in the end. You get that, right? We win in the end. I know it's hard. I know there's a... I'm, I'm, I'm glossing over a lot of things. We talk about that from week to week, some of the difficulties, but we win in the end if we're with Christ. If we are in Christ, we win in the end. If we dedicate our lives to making disciples of all nations, we're going to be successful. We're partnering with God in His work. I trust that I have sufficiently convinced you that God is making His name known among the nations. And I trust that I've sufficiently convinced you that God invites you to join Him in it. I trust that you're convinced that God's going to accomplish His task. But let us look at a couple of practical considerations for us. A couple of practical considerations of actually applying this. Two questions for us to consider together for practical considerations. First question is, what is keeping you from this work? What is keeping you from this work? And the second question is, what will this work look like? I've got a couple of points for each of these. I'll move through them relatively briefly. So the first question, what is keeping you from this work? What has kept you from this work? What is keeping you from this work? And what will tempt you to not be involved in this work in the future? The first one would be a lack of true personal worship. Lack of true personal worship. If you are not a worshiper of God, if you are not a true worshiper of God, you will not invite other people to worship the God that you worship. You cannot lead people to a place that you've never been to. And so, if you find that you do not have a heart to see other people worship the Lord Jesus, then you need to renew your own personal worship with the Lord. So, lack of true personal worship will keep you from this work. Second thing that will keep you from this is a fear of man. Fear of man. All right? People, when you initially invite them in to worship God with you, most people will initially 
uh, not want to do so. And they will fight against you. They may lash out against you. They may ostracize you. They may make fun of you. Lots of things they could do to you. And not even that they might do it to you, but, or not, not even that they will do it to you, but you will fear what they could do. And you'll fear all the things they could do, whether they've actually done it or not. So that fear of mankind can actually prevent you from this work. We need to be in a fear of God, not in a fear of man. The third thing that could keep us from this work is, uh, I've combined these, so yes, I snuck an extra one in there perhaps, laziness or distraction. Laziness and distraction will keep you from this work. We live in a time and we live in a culture where distraction is at every single turn. Everywhere we look, there is distraction. Everywhere we look, there is uh, an opportunity to sit around and do nothing but to be endlessly entertained. It's there. It's all over the place. Uh, my, my basketball team that I like to watch uh, is on this afternoon. And Kelly said, well, that's weird that college basketball is on Sunday afternoon. I was like, well, yeah, because weekend before, whenever it was, the Super Bowl, right? That that was on Sundays. Well, now they've got to replace it. They've got to give me something to watch on Sundays, right? Like there has to be this never-ending stream of entertainment for us to be engaged in, right? It's, it's everywhere. These things are robbing us from joy. They have their place, right? But if they overtake our lives and distract us from the most important things, we must cast them off. We must lay them aside. We must put them in their proper box so that we can be free to be about the work of the Lord. And that is making disciples of all nations. I heard it was kind of interesting a place that I heard it from. I don't know that the, guy's, the guy professes to be a Christian, I was on a talk show I was uh, watching this week, and he said, he said you know, there's, you kind of have a choice. You can have a choice of discipline, right, where you discipline yourself to hard work and you discipline yourself away from distraction, or you will have a life of regrets. You can't, you can't not have a life of discipline and then also not have a life of regret. You'll either choose a life of discipline and work and not being distracted away from the most important things, or you will have a life of regrets. Laziness, distraction will lead you to a life of constant regrets and excuses about not, the, about not living the life that could have been. Renew yourself to the Lord. The fourth thing that could keep you from this work is kingdom building. Little k, lowercase k, kingdom building. What I mean by that is building up your own thing instead of building God's kingdom, the capital K, big K, kingdom of God. Okay? This could be many things. Honestly, many of the little k kingdoms that people like you guys that would gather together on a Sunday morning, people like me that would stand and preach on a Sunday morning, many of these things are good things. But if they're not put in their proper place, they can overtake building God's kingdom. So it could be things like career. It could be things like even your family. It could even be things like your own local church. You see, if everything come, becomes about these things and not about advancing the kingdom of God, then these things have overtaken God's real mission for you. So examine yourself. What is that for me? What little K kingdoms am I building instead of the kingdom of God? To make disciples of all nations, we disciples must be about the work of making disciples of all nations. Building our little K kingdoms will not get it done. So those are just a few. Examine your life. Which of these are preventing me from making disciples of all nations? The writer of Hebrews, we just finished Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews encourages, encourages us to lay aside every weight and hindrance and sin that clings so closely. Lay them aside and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. That's what we need to do. Lay aside those things. Second question, what will this look like in your actual life? So we've talked about the barriers. What will it look like to make disciples of all nations? I have, I believe, five of them. 
Number one, show hospitality to the nations. Show hospitality to the nations. Hospitality is simply opening up your life to other people. We think of it as opening up our homes, but it's really opening up your lives to other people. So you may have to start by just opening up your life to other people, opening up your home, opening up your schedule, opening up your time, opening up your energy to other people. And as you do so, have your eyes open to doing so for people that don't look like you or sound like you, okay? And welcome them into your life. People that don't look like you or sound like you. Show hospitality to the nations. Number two, build relationships with the nations. Listen, you guys interact with the nations on a weekly, monthly basis, right? Wherever you are, but definitely the the active duty service members, you interact with the nations all the time. In my active duty time, I visited, went to, traveled to about 15 different countries of the world. I interacted with at least another 10 nations, Build relationships with those folks. Sometimes that'll just be walking across the room in a It'll be after a training event that you like get to know one of the other people that you're working alongside. For some of you, I know we have several who work in the school system or our schools in the school system, our uh, students in the school system. Man, we have the nations coming to us. Maybe you have somebody from another country that has moved into your neighborhood or into your apartment complex. Build relationships with the nations. Build relationships with the aim of teaching them about the one true God of the Bible. Build relationships with the nations. Number three, give generously to kingdom work. Give generously to kingdom work. One of the great challenges to get the gospel to the nations is that we need tangible, actual, tangible resources, namely time and money. Time and money. If you're curious, most of the nations who have not yet been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ are in what we call the 1040 window, right? Uh, Most of the places we keep deploying to to have to fight, uh, that window and kind of the area surrounding that window from latitudes 10 and 40, okay? 1040 window. They're mostly there. More people dedicating their time, more people dedicating their lives, more people dedicating their financial resources is what it's going to take. As one pastor says, we've gotten to all the easy places. Right? We've gotten to all the easy places. The places that need the gospel, the other nations, the unreached nations, the unreached people groups that need the gospel now are, uh, are the difficult ones to get to. Pastor J.D. this week, as I prayed earlier, is in Egypt. What he's doing is he is uh, training approximately 35 Egyptian pastors in expository preaching. Him with some uh, staff from Word Partners. Uh, Here in a couple months, I'm going to be going to Okinawa, Japan. We're looking for other overseas opportunities. To make Jesus known among the nations. Pastor J.D. and I have a standing breakfast meeting when we're both in town. I understand we both travel a fair amount, but when we're both in town, we have a standard breakfast meeting. I won't tell you where that is because you'll come and like distract us from the work at hand, uh, which is building relationship and talking about what God is calling us to do. And uh, one of the things we've been talking about a lot over the several, past several months is just that we need to be more serious as a church and we need to be more serious individually about taking the gospel to the nations, specifically the most hard-to-reach areas of the world. So we invite you into that. It's going to involve, for all of us, giving generously of our time and money for this work of making disciples of all nations. Number four, pray fervently for this work. Pray fervently for this work. This week, you have a unique opportunity. Again, Pastor J.D. is in Cairo, Egypt. He's with some other uh, um, U.S. guys from uh, Word Partners, and they're going to Egypt. 
You could pray for them every day this week. I think he gets back on like next Tuesday. So you could pray for him every day this week. Uh, community group leaders and those of you who are in community groups, I would encourage you to pray for Pastor JD. Pray for these 35 Egyptian pastors that the word of God would reverberate in that region that desperately needs the gospel. Pray fervently that God's name would be praised among the nations. The fifth one, fifth thing we can do for this work, be ready to go if called. Be ready to go if called. I do not believe that every single member of Pillar Church of Jacksonville will be called to quit their job and dedicate their vocational life to international missions. I don't believe that. So if you're worried that that's what I'm trying to do is to get every single one of us to, to be a lever, to be a goer and throw down their vocations and go spend their vocational life to take the gospel to the nations. I just want to absolve you of that. That's not what I believe is going to happen. However, I also refuse to believe that over the next few years that God won't call any of us to lay down the life that we think we're supposed to be doing and go and dedicate the rest of our vocational life to taking the gospel to the nations. And so I plead with every single one of you to be ready to go if called. If God calls you, put your sign your blank check and put it before the Lord and say, I'll, I'll go wherever. Just like the Lord said to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, the Lord called out a question. He said, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And the prophet Isaiah responded simply, here am I, send me. So I encourage you to sign that check to the Lord. Here am I, Lord. Send me. If I need to walk across the room to talk to somebody who looks different and sounds different than me, here am I. Send me. If I need to walk across the street and talk to somebody who doesn't look like me or sound like me and tell them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how they can come to know the one true God of the Bible, here am I, Lord. Send me. If I need to go to the most difficult, remotest part of the world to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to them and lay down the life that I thought I had here and go do that, here am I, Lord. Send me. Who will do that? Who will go and make disciples of all nations? Let us pray. Here we are, Lord. Send us. Lord, we ask 